Hello, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy, coming to you from Ithaca, New York. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is rooted in the philosophy that structure and function are interrelated and restoring mobility to skeletal, arthrodial, myofascial, and neural structures will create more efficient posture and fluidity of movement, thus promoting health and well-being. Manual therapy has been practiced throughout history, and no one profession owns manual therapy. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is eclectic, inclusive, and dedicated to training all bodywork professionals in the art and science of manual therapy. Please check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. In today's podcast, we will explore paradoxical posture, the position in which someone holds their body when sitting, standing, or preparing for movement. It requires the visual, vestibular, and somatosensory systems to maintain position with a minimal expenditure of energy. Our understanding of the connection between posture, movement, and health comes from the work of two individuals who, through self-discovery with their own ailments, develop methods to optimize posture and movement that continue to be taught today. Frederick Matthias Alexander, 1869-1955, was an Australian actor who began to experience debilitating laryngitis that prevented him from performing. After doctors found no physical cause and told him there was nothing else they could do for him, Alexander did some investigating on his own. He set up a series of mirrors around himself and discovered that the position of his head and tension in his neck was causing his problems. Alexander taught himself how to adjust his posture, move more efficiently, and speak with less effort. His condition improved so dramatically that his doctors, family, and friends encouraged him to teach others what he learned. Over more than 50 years, Alexander developed his methods of posture movement education, worked with thousands of people, and began to train teachers in what is now known as the Alexander Technique. Marshy Feldenkrais, 1904-1984, was born in Russia, received degrees in mechanical and electrical engineering and a doctorate in physics. He worked in France in nuclear research with the famous Jolet Curie. Feldenkrais played soccer and practiced martial arts, and after suffering a knee injury, became intimately aware of the importance of posture and movement on healing and recovery. Influenced by the work of Alexander, he applied his knowledge of physics and developed a system of correcting posture and movement that is known as the Feldenkrais Method. Feldenkrais wrote five books and conducted several training sessions on his method. He trained hundreds of Feldenkrais practitioners, and his students continue his work training practitioners worldwide. The Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais Method use gentle movements and body awareness, very similar to the Chinese practice of Tai Chi, to teach people how to move more effortlessly. Tai Chi, a Chinese form of moving meditation that originated from the martial arts, is an ancient exercise that promotes harmony between the body and mind. Alexander and Feldenkrais believed that improving posture and movement patterns would enhance physical function, strengthen cognition, promote emotional balance, and restore health. The oldest adult human skeleton, Lucy, was discovered in 1974 and named after the Beatles song, Lucy lived about 3.18 million years ago and was fully capable of walking and running on two legs. Bipedal locomotion ensured survival. It enabled Lucy's hands to be free to carry food from further distances, see the horizon ahead for predators, and to run when needed. When a human is born, they have one primary seat curve or kyphosis. 
As they begin to lift their head against gravity, typically at three to four months of age, the cervical lordosis forms. At six to eight months, sitting and pulling up to stand creates the lumbar lordosis. In the upright position, the human spine consists of a cervical lordosis, thoracic kyphosis, and lumbar lordosis that sits on top of a stable foundation, the sacrum and pelvis. The spinal curves provide shock absorption and stability. The center of gravity is the second sacral vertebra, and the pelvic angle is roughly 0 to 23 degrees, average 13 degrees, and women tend to have a slightly greater angle than men. Posture is the position in which someone holds their body when sitting, standing, or preparing for movement. It requires the visual, vestibular, and somatosensory systems to maintain position with a minimal expenditure of energy. There is a constant change in muscular forces and the creation of tension through the fascial matrix. In response to abnormal stress or strain created by habitual postures, the body adapts by taking the path of least resistance. When the body is no longer able to compensate, tissues break down and the result is pain and dysfunction. As proposed by Ida Roth and others, alteration in posture and alignment can create tension on the fascial network that causes a cascade of events. Loss of ground substance in water, binding of fascial elements, loss of sarcomeres and atrophy of muscles, muscle imbalances of weak, weakness and tightness, and circulatory and lymphatic stasis, ultimately leading to somatic dysfunction. Guarding may persist long after the initial injury, physical or emotional, has healed, leading to posture movement abnormalities and consequently connective tissue changes. As mentioned previously, when a vehicle has an issue with alignment, the tires wear differently. The same issue happens with our bodies. This is very apparent when you look at the bottom of your shoes. Habitual postures such as shifting your weight and weight bearing on one leg, a posture typically used by mothers holding a child on the hip, the gluteal muscles are continuously on stretch and may become weak and opposing spinal muscles get tight. This may lead to an altered movement at the hip and pelvis and subsequently stress to other tissues of the body. Strengthen the gluteal muscles alone with clamshells or resisted sidesteps without correcting the dysfunctional posture will not correct the problem. Carrying a bag or backpack on one shoulder causes the upper trapezius to become more overactive and eventually develop trigger points within the muscle that refer pain to the head and face. Trigger point therapy and soft tissue mobilization will certainly relieve symptoms. However, if the habitual posture is not corrected, the symptoms will certainly return. Posture education and lifestyle modification is a key component of the rehabilitation program. When observing posture, always look globally at the big picture and then move more regionally and segmentally. The patient should be viewed in standing from the anterior, posterior, and lateral angles. Ask them to stand relaxed and comfortable in their natural posture. When being observed, people tend to try and stand up tall with perfect posture. Make sure the room is warm and comfortable. The entire body should be viewed starting from the feet all the way up to the head. Attempt to see as much skin as possible by having the patients wear shorts and women a sports bra. Identify any asymmetry and structural deviations. Observe muscles for spasticity, hypertrophy, and atrophy. It is important to keep in mind that every snowflake is not shaped exactly the same in either as every human being. Somatotypes developed by American psychologist W.H. Sheldon are classified into three main categories, mesomorphic, more muscular, and stocky, 
An example would be a sprinter or soccer player. Endomorphic, more body fat, shorter limbs. An example would be a football lineman or curvier women. And ectomorphic, narrower frame, thinner bones, and smaller joints. An example would be a distance runner or ballerina. Body types react differently to abnormal stress and strain, and this is helpful to know when evaluating for somatic dysfunction. For instance, a mesomorph has the propensity to become tight as opposed to an ectomorph that is more likely to be loose. Structural abnormalities are an indication that there is a change in tensional forces somewhere in the fascial system. If a tent is erected with too much tension placed on a guide wire to one side, the tent will look asymmetrical and not function properly. It may not whisk rain or sustain high winds. Similarly, the rigging lines of a sailboat need to be adjusted just right to provide optimal sail luff to produce movement. This concept is the same for the human body. Have the patient stand on two scales shoulder width apart. Note the load distribution between the two sides. This is a good way to start to figure out whether or not the body is aligned and a way to objectively monitor progress. A plumb line, a plumb bob weighted object suspended on a string or a grid marked on a wall is often used as a reference when assessing posture. Photographs taken at the initial visit and periodically during treatment can help the therapist and the patient see improvements occurring as a result of treatment. Sometimes subtle changes are difficult to see, especially for the patient. The therapist often hears patients say, I'm no better, despite obvious changes in posture, joint range of motion, and functional movement. Videos of functional movements and gait are also beneficial when assessing the effectiveness of treatment. Smartphone videos can be taken, stored on a secure password protected drive, and also sent to the patient. Observe posture by starting at the feet and work up the body to the head. The hips should sit symmetrically over the legs, thorax over the hips, shoulder over the thorax, and head over the shoulders. Identify any area of fascial tension that may be dragging the body out of alignment. I recommend integrating evaluation with treatment. When you see a restriction, release it, and then continue on with the evaluation. In the anterior view, the plumb line starts equidistance between the malleoli and the knees, bisects the pubic symphysis, umbilicus, xiphoid, and sternum, chin, nose, eyes, to the top of the head. Some common findings from the anterior view starting from the feet and working up include hallux valgus or hammer toes, pes planus flat foot or pes cavus high arch, external internal tibial torsion, genual valgum knock knees or varum bow legs, kneecaps pointing inward or outward, asymmetrical hypertrophy or atrophy of the quadriceps, hip external or internal rotation, lateral pelvic tilt or rotation, kneel or sit to be at eye level and palpate the iliac crest heights and the ASIS for levelness, thorax shifted off the pelvis, umbilicus pulled to one side of the abdomen, asymmetrical rib arches or angles, elbow creases facing inward indicating internal humeral rotation, Cubitus valgus or varus, normal in females, is 15 degrees, in males, 10 degrees. Asymmetrical distance between the arms and the side of the body. AC joint or SC joint asymmetry. Clavicle angle, 
Normal is approximately 10 to 15 degrees. Dropped or elevated shoulder. A dropped shoulder may be correspond to handedness. Asymmetrical tone or size of the pectoral muscles. Shoulder girdle shifted off the thorax. Mandibular asymmetry. Nose pulled to one side. Lateral tilt or rotation of the head and neck. When observing the patient from the side, the plumb line starts at the tuberosity of the fifth metatarsal, runs up the lower leg just posterior to the patella, through the greater trochanter, up the chromium process, earlobe, and ends at the top of the head. Common findings from the lateral view may include forward ankle, the body is positioned ahead of the ankle, genuvrica bottom, hyperextension of flexed knees, hip anterior or posterior to the plumb line, anterior or posterior pelvic tilt, kneel or sit and palpate the ASIS and PSIS to eyeball the pelvic angle or measure with a goniometer by centering it over the ASIS, fixed arm parallel with the floor, movable arm in line with the PSIS. A normal angle is 0 to 23 degrees, average 13 degrees. Loss of lumbar lordosis, flat back, or excessive lordosis, sway back. Pectus excavatum, funnel or sunken chest, or carinatum, pigeon or protruded chest. Thoracic kyphosis, rounded shoulders, humerus should sit under it as opposed to anterior to the chromium. Loss of cervical lordosis or excessive lordosis. Forward head. Palpate head angle with your thumb on the AC joint and index finger on the external auditory medius or take a measurement with a goniometer by centering it over the AC joint. Fixed arm parallel with the floor, movable arm in line with external auditory meatus. Finally, in the posterior view, the plumb line starts equidistance between the malleoli and knees, bisects the coccyx, PSIS, spinous processes of the thoracic and lumbar vertebra, the occipital protuberance known as the bump of knowledge, and to the top of the head. Common findings from the posterior view are similar to the anterior view, which includes rear foot valgus or varus, asymmetrical Achilles tendon, pes planus flat foot or pes cavus, high arch, asymmetrical hypertrophy or atrophy of the calf muscles, asymmetrical creases in the back of the knees, genuvalgum knock knees or varum bow legs, hip internal external rotation, asymmetrical gluteal folds, lateral pelvic tilt or rotation, Kneel or sit and palpate the PSIS at the dimples for levelness. Be sure to hook under the PSIS for accuracy. Asymmetrical greater trochanters, palpate for levelness. Identify leg length discrepancy. Thorax shifted off the pelvis. Cubitus valgus of varus. Remember, normal for females, 15 degrees. Males, 10 degrees. Asymmetrical distance between the arms and the side of the body. Increased paraspinal muscle tone. Lateral deviation of the trunk, or scoliosis. Asymmetrical scapula muscles, hypertrophy or atrophy. Adducted or abducted scapula. The scapula should rest symmetrically between T2 and T7, and the distance between the spine and the medial border should be approximately three fingers. Winging scapula. The scapula should rest relatively flat on the ribcage. Dropped or elevated shoulder. A dropped shoulder may correspond to handedness. 
Shoulder girl shifted off the thorax. Increased upper trap or levator scapula muscle tone. And finally, head and neck tilt or rotation. Finish the postural screen by applying pressure down through the shoulders and see how well the spine distributes the load. Note the presence of breakpoints, which may indicate areas of instability or weakness. This is another general test, similar to standing on two scales, that can be used to monitor progress. When assessing posture, try not to logically explain what you see or what the problem might be. Just consider what tissues may be implicated in the pattern you are observing and identify areas of imbalance. Too often, therapists immediately start drawing conclusions about the postural findings and prematurely make a structural diagnosis. If the patient is having symptoms in relaxed standing, provide tactile feedback to correct the posture and see if the symptoms improve. Reducing the patient's symptoms by altering the patient's posture will assist the clinician in developing the treatment plan and create buy-in from the patient. Positive patient expectations have been correlated with good clinical outcomes. Posture should also be assessed in sitting, Again, see if symptoms change with subtle corrections or support. Let's look at an example of a postural cascade. If alterations in posture continue over time, changes that occur in connective tissue can lead to dysfunctional movement patterns and manifest in clinical symptoms. A good example is forward head posture, seen more often in today's society as Tex-Nex syndrome. In this posture, the mid-cervical facet joints upglide, and there is loss of cervical lordosis. Over time, the joints become stiff, and to keep the eyes level with the horizon for daily activities, the upper cervical facet joints must downglide. This results in an adaptive shortening of the suboccipital muscles, resulting in compression of the greater occipital nerve, producing headaches. The upper trapezius and levator scapula muscles attempt to resist the additional gravitational pull on the head that is now outside its base of support. Trigger points form as the muscles shorten and tighten. These specific trigger points in the upper trapezius and levator scapula muscles have been known to refer pain to the neck, head, and face. The anterior cervical muscles lengthen and weaken and cervical stability begins to be compromised. In this position, gravity pulls the mandible open encouraging mouth breathing, and the masseter and temporalis muscles engage to try and keep the mouth closed, which produces a greater force on the temporomandibular joint. TMJ dysfunction and pain have been linked to forward head posture. In the thoracic spine, the facet joints upglide, creating a kyphosis, which typically becomes stiff. This stiffness and loss of mobility needs to be taken up somewhere, Stress is transmitted to the neck and shoulder. The rhomboids, middle and lower trapezius muscles lengthen and become weak, further exacerbating the posture. The shoulder girdle becomes protracted and internally rotated, which shortens the pectoral, subscapularis, latissimus, and teres major muscles. This can lead to a tilted scapula and reduced acromial humeral interval that causes rotator cuff impingement, tendinosis, or tears. Breathing becomes more challenging with the anterior thorax held in a shortened position and accessory muscles of respiration, scalenes, and sternocleidomastoid become more active. The tight scalenes create an upward force on the first rib, compromising nerve and blood vessels in the thoracic outlet that can lead to neck and arm pain. 
All of these changes occur from the head simply being out of vertical alignment, outside its base of support, and working against gravity. Experience for yourself how posture affects function. Sit in a chair with good upright posture. Turn your head right and left. Note the quality and the amount of cervical range of motion. Next, raise your arms and reach over your head. See how far you can go, and then put your arms back down. Lastly, take a few deep breaths. Feel how your rib cage expands and your lungs fill with air. Now repeat these activities in a slumped forward head, rounded shoulders posture, similar to how people sit all day in front of a computer or while texting on their smartphones. You will note less neck and shoulder range of motion and restricted breathing. Structure clearly dictates function and an upright posture is more efficient. Compensatory postures and movements can lead to a host of structural changes that impair bodily functions and consequently lead to symptoms. Patients may seek medical advice for their symptoms and be referred for diagnostic imaging to identify the problem. Findings from diagnostic imaging such as x-ray and MRI often do not correlate well with the patient's symptoms and can open Pandora's box leading to unnecessary invasive procedures. X-ray and MRI reports that contain words such as herniated, prolapsed, degenerative, or arthritic often have little to do with the cause of the patient's symptoms and can result in added anxiety, catastrophizing, and exacerbate and perpetuate pain and disability. These findings are often just gray hair on the inside, a normal part of aging. Something simple as what your mother told you at the kitchen table, sit up straight, little Johnny, could be the answer to many physical ailments. That's it for today's podcast. Until next time, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy in Ithaca, New York. Remember to develop an eclectic treatment approach, stay informed of new evidence, embrace the healing power of touch, and always follow manual therapy with movement and exercise. Check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. And join us for our next podcast on Movement Malady.